Hi, this is Randall with Business Partner Blueprint, welcoming you back to another episode of the Blueprint Pros podcast. And today, I'm so wonderful, I can't stand myself. So we're going to cover a little bit of the secret sauce. Yes, a little bit of the secret sauce around the Business Partner Blueprint. And this one is uh, based on a specific application, one that you may find yourself in. It's a great situation to have. It, however is probably one of the trickiest ones. It's it's probably one of the most custom of situations we come we come across. Um you you really have to be careful how you navigate through this one. And uh you do it right, you'll never look back. So uh let me kind of give you a little bit of the backstory here. I get a call yesterday from a prospective client that was trying to think through an amazing opportunity. Uh, uh she's a um woman uh, minority business owner. She's been uh, a professional for about 15 or 20 years. She started out in the corporate space and started her own business. And she's been a small shop for a while, mostly her, uh, a couple of contractors or so. And uh, she has uh, positioned herself to an amazing opportunity. She has a, a large tech company that uh, loves what she's been doing. And they want to give her a substantial contract. This contract could be anywhere from uh, uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 million a year. Substantial contract, huge. And uh, she actually has another company that she works with, much larger company than hers, uh, that she's worked with previously, where uh, they actually were able to provide a lot of the operational support for her because she just wasn't big enough to uh, to do all of it herself. So her ability to tap into their staff and their processes and their people just made a lot of sense as part of her go-to-market strategy. So the, the scenario that she finds herself in is that this uh, tech company wants to guarantee that uh, her company materially, significantly benefits. They don't want to give her a five or ten or fifteen uh, million dollar contract, and she only gets like five or ten or fifteen percent of the contract, or something like that. Uh, and and that um, y- you know her company really isn't set up to succeed once this this contract is over. And the thing that you have to wrap your mind around that a lot of a mistake that a lot of a lot of companies make, not only just uh, diverse companies, but corporations really and truly in the early years, and we're still somewhat in the early years of uh, supplier diversity, uh, are very open to a helping hand, but not open to a handout. They will help diverse businesses get in the door and they will help them to uh, uh, reach a certain level, but they're not guaranteeing that you're going to have a contract for life. In order to have a contract for life, you have to outperform everybody else that's doing the service. And that's where a lot of uh, folks make mistakes. They, they, they get, they don't recognize, they don't leverage the helping hand. They assume the helping hand is going to transition to a handout and that they'll be able to write that contract forever. Uh, no, that you're playing a different game once the helping hand has been extended and you took it and you have to quickly transition to uh, how to how to leverage that helping hand. But their concern uh, was that the helping hand wasn't going to materialize into a full fledged business. And for those of you, um, you know, in case your company, in case you've been through this, there's a few buzzwords you need to understand here. 
there's a concept of a, a pass through uh, or a front business. You, you know, in the old days, people would um, find somebody d- diverse, whether it was a, a woman, a, a Mexican, Hispanic, Asian, um, even in today's world, gay, lesbian, what, um, or a veteran or something else. And they would use that as a front company, as a pass through that, that the, the owner, you know, in some cases it was somebody's wife uh, or, or their daughter or whatever. In some cases, the person whose name the company was in did not materially contribute to the company in any form or fashion. And the corporations go, no, no, we're, we're not supporting people gaming the system. That's just not going to work for us. And so they have a concern that that uh, that uh, the, 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 this lady that, that called me, you know, there was a potential that, well, let me say this, this this way. It wasn't so much that there was a potential. They wanted to make sure that this wasn't the case, that she was a, a front company. And they wanted to make sure that she wasn't being taken advantage of by the bigger company. That, uh, you know, they would sacrifice um, 10% or 15% of the margin and um, and just use her and thereby, you know, they could use her status to get the bulk of the contract without paying her any real money. And so as she's thinking through this, as she and I both were thinking through this, we had to kind of step back and level set on a whole host of issues because she had not actually gone through my formal training programs where we lay out the framework of how you began to establish these kinds of relationships in general. Uh, what are the things that you need to know about your business, you know, under the category of first to thine own self, be through, uh, be true. What do you need to know about your own business before you even start talking about getting into um, potential supplier partnerships with uh, other, other, other companies? And so uh, she had an immediate opportunity that she needed to engage in the next three weeks. And so we had to kind of just walk through at a high level some of the major things that she needed to, needed to consider in order to figure out how she was going to go back to the tech company and, and tell them what her plan was going to be, why she was confident in it, how it supported their goal of ensuring that she had long-term viability or that this really set her business up for success. And finally, what was the uh, relationship that she was going to have to negotiate with her uh, supplier partner as they both went to the tech company. And so we'll just kind of walk through the, the those things um, at, at a high level uh, so that you have some sense in case you're coming across this or you're pursuing this um, this particular approach. So let, let's start with the first thing the, that she needed to make sure she understood. The first thing she had to understand was what was the relationship that she needed to have with the her supplier partner in order to uh, her uh, uh, supplier solution partner in order to really make this work? And she had mentioned that her company actually provided a lot of the same services as the um, uh, her supplier solution partner. And I'm like, okay, okay, now, now that's tricky. Because the risk that you run in that situation is that your supplier solution partner can do an in-run around you, go back to the client saying, hey, you're paying this person uh, this kind of markup, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50% markup for something that we can do. And any rational customer 
is really and truly going going to go, well, I don't know that I need to pay all that extra money if I can get the exact same thing for less. So that's a really difficult one to navigate through. And you may find yourself in that situation. So the way you kind of finesse that is you have to establish up front that uh, you can handle and manage the project. You become the primary interface, the primary customer service liaison, the project manager. Uh, you become everything that that client needs so that you are the face of this contract. Your, your, your uh, supplier solution partner is not the face of the contract. Their business development people don't need to be in there for any reason if they <coughs> otherwise don't have business with that uh, with with that client with that customer. If they do, you just have to make sure you're clear on them contractually what the rules of engagement is around how this contract is to uh, be spoken about, and that the contract allows for penalties if they try and do an in run around or what we call circumvent you. Or if they violate the terms of your um, uh, confidentiality agreement uh, as to, you know, sharing how much money you might be making in markup on uh, what your markup is on the contract. So those are some some preventions that you can put in place to, to deal with that. But the bigger issue is around you establishing uh, primary control over that contract and you can take it to the next step which is, um, in this case, you know, when you have a big company like that and you're a small shop, you may be able to handle a whole host of services and activities and offer a number of products, but you're probably not core. You're probably not great. You're probably not best in class in um, more than three, four, or five of them. So what you really want to do in this situation is, you want to look at the entire portfolio of products and services, and you want to carve out those uh, three to five or six that you can actually build a staff around and that you can do on your own, where when an invoice goes in for that particular line item, you get 100% of that invoice because you performed 100% of it. And then for the other items... The, uh, the other services that are being offered, then the situation there is that you negotiate with your 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 supplier solution partner that what you uh, you expect that because you're doing cost of sales, that you're doing invoicing, that you may be doing customer service and follow up, that you expect them to provide the um, the, uh, uh, the 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 product at cost. Uh, and cover overhead uh, with the with the with the with the small or or staff including burden plus a small overhead fee and a small profit because they don't have cost of sales and all the other stuff that you're doing on that uh, on that uh, uh, on that item. So let, let me kind of just walk you through this for a second. Let's just say for 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 simple argument. You've got a hundred buck an hour bill rate, and let's just say that uh, there's a, the cost of the person that's doing the work is fifty bucks, uh, with benefits and everything. You add ten dollars, that's sixty bucks. So that leaves uh, forty bucks in there. Let's just say there's um, twenty bucks to cover the cost of overhead, so that's eighty bucks. And then let's just say there's a twenty percent profit margin. That that's 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 twenty bucks. 
So in this particular case, what you would be able to to negotiate if um, if you had a uh, supplier solution partner bringing that to the table, then the fifty percent, the the fifty dollars for the the cost of the labor that's hard money. They got to pay that. You should expect to reimburse them for that. The ten dollars in burden for benefits and all that other kind of stuff. If if this person is on that contract full time. That's a hard cost to them. You should expect to uh, recover that cost. Uh, profit, you can argue about whether or not the profit should be 20. Maybe you can cut that down to 10. Uh, they 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 may take that, but they may want to hold firm at, at, at 20. But you got that last 20 of uh, uh, of overhead. And because, you know, an overhead in this case is going to include GNA and a whole host of other things. Um, there's no way that they have to spend all of that on these people. In which case, that's where your negotiation comes in. So if you can cut, you know, ten dollars out of that, and you cut, um, you cut um, ten dollars or fifteen dollars out of uh, of their profit, then out of that one hundred dollar invoice, uh, twenty dollars to twenty five dollars should come back to you, uh, and that should be a win win for both of you. Okay, just a simple model. But that, that's how you would attack that. That's how you would negotiate that. And then what you would end up doing is because you continue to function in the project management role, you continue to function um, as the uh, chief technical person for the entire contract. You begin to have the, the, the work that your people are executing. And as your people get better and stronger, there are more things that your people can do. Then after six months, a year, two years, three years, you actually have a really good business. All right. So, uh, you know, theoretically, what you would want to look at is, are you taking the most profitable parts of the contract? Bear in mind, the tech company told her, we want you. All right. The reason we're having this conversation is we want you. We, we are we, we want to give you the best shot at success, in which case. And in, in which case the, the issue becomes. Uh, um, how do you set your business up to meet that goal? Somebody's handed you a fantastic, a golden opportunity. So in order for you to actually take advantage of that situation, you need to show, well, hey, if uh, you guys are going to work with me, uh, you're going to walk into the room to help me negotiate if I need it. Uh, we can we can set the guidelines together for how all of this is going to work. Then by all means, you would design a system that allow you to actually maximize the profit available for your company. Right. We're all profit maximizing entities. Right. So you would actually set it up for just that situation. And so then the last thing that, uh, you know, after she and I had to kind of talk through what did it mean for her to put herself in a situation where she could actually begin to, to take control of that situation and that the tech company had no question that um, she ran that, that business, that this other company, for all intents and purposes, just looked like a subcontractor of hers. Um, you, you know, they didn't look like they were standing beside her. They looked like they were standing behind her. To, to support her, to make sure that she was operationally performing uh, across the entire contract. But it wasn't like they were propping her up by any stretch of the imagination. So that's just smart business. That's just the way you go about this. That's how you you leverage and manage through this kind of opportunity where you build some uh, capabilities and sustainability and capacity within your own organization, leveraging 
this kind of fantastic opportunity. And so then the last thing that we had to, she and I had to kind of talk our way through was in order for the tech company to realize the benefit, they needed to be able to um, send the check to her. Now, on a $10 million contract, if you're a big company, you're not going to put your business at risk, especially if you're putting up, um, you know, 50 to 60, potentially even 70 percent of the costs up front. Um, you want that check coming to you and then you want to pay the uh, person who actually holds the contract out of you, you pay them out of that out of that remittance. Uh, that satisfies your auditors. That satisfies your stakeholders. That's just as smart. Otherwise, you're not going to take. Uh, you're not going to be a multi-billion-dollar company taking a credit risk on a company that um, hadn't hit one hundred, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, even a million dollars in sales. You're just not going to do it, um, unless you have something else in place. I mean, if they actually have fantastic credit and you 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 show that they can they can actually handle a uh, hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand dollar invoice you know if their bank stands behind that or they've got a warehouse line in place then you'll take that risk but otherwise you won't so what you what you're gonna want if you're the the uh, supplier solution partner is that um, is that you you're gonna want the check to come to you so as she and I were talking about that there's a whole host of provisions that you can uh, talk through on that. One of the ones that I'd like is this concept of a um, joint check where the, uh, in this case, the tech company would put the check in the name of both companies. It would go to a lockbox. The lockbox is nothing more than a P.O. box at the bank that everybody has. Anybody that's paid a utility bill, that bill, when you mail it in before electronic banking, went to the a P.O. box at the bank, uh, otherwise known as a lockbox. And that way it got processed and recorded in the system um, ASAP so that uh, money wasn't sitting outstanding for a while. But in this case, what you can do is because the solution partner is is uh, uh, named on that check, then that satisfies their auditors and everything's fine. There's a little bit of a negotiation with the tech company for them to sign off on that. But you can find somebody in the tech company that won't have an issue with that and uh, you can get that done. But that then satisfies the whole uh, the whole scenario where if the auditors for the tech company comes in and say, you know, did you, did you, were you paying the, the actual um, diverse company, the WBE, the MBE, did you pay them the money for this service? It's like, yep, yep, yep. You can look at our payables record and sure enough that that's who we paid uh, for certification companies, for certification purposes, uh, for the diverse business. When you go to show your financial statements, around total revenue that came in, um, you know, your books will show that, yes, you, you know, that money came to you as well. So that helps you with regard to showing the size of your company, so forth and so on. And then your profitability, you know, you, that that flows to your books quickly and precisely and easily as well. And then um, you get into the last piece where you have to negotiate with your solution partner how, uh, how um, how 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 you're going to handle cash flow? You know, some solution partners will actually front you uh, your portion of that revenue when the when the when the invoice is generated. Others may not pay you until the check from, in this case, the technology company hits the logbox. 
that's a negotiation that you'll have to work with them. It just depends on them and how much they're exposed, how much profit's in there, and uh, what their cash flow situation is. So that's kind of the last piece of that negotiation. But I wanted, what I wanted you to take away from this is when you find yourself in that amazing situation, you want to design it such that you actually use it to set your company up for long-term success. You should be able to expand and build out. And you do that by looking at the entire portfolio of products and services and cherry picking out the ones that you can do better than anyone else. And you keep that portion of that contract in-house. Your people perform against that. And the remainder of it, you uh, outsource or subcontract to your solution partner, but you manage it. You continue to be the manager of the contract, the project manager of all the activities. You're on top of, of what's going on at all times by anybody performing under that contract. That becomes a huge value add for uh, and and you're you're responsible for developing scopes of work and you're just I mean you know classic project management you're there doing everything that needs to be done to satisfy that contract even if your specific staff aren't actually executing or performing the work. So I thought you 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 might get a a good kick out of that one. That one came up yesterday. It comes up quite frequently, and we I kind of just wanted to talk it through with you to give you a good sense of what you do in that situation and how you handle it. Thanks for uh, sticking with me today, and stay tuned for the next episode. This is Randall signing off.